The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank believes communities thrive when individuals succeed. Working together, we can help create economic opportunity for all. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, May 9th. In today's news, North Korea launches another missile. President Trump thinks John Bolton is boxing him in so that the U.S. goes to war in Venezuela. And a heroic student in Colorado gives his life to save his classmates during a school shooting. But first, the big idea. The House Judiciary Committee voted yesterday along party lines to hold Attorney General Bill Barr in contempt of Congress, hours after the president asserted executive privilege over special counsel Bob Mueller's report. The full House could vote as early as next week on the Barr contempt citation. That would enable House lawyers to take Barr to civil court and try to persuade a federal judge to force him to release Mueller's evidence. It's the latest of several high-stakes legal fights between the executive and legislative branches. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said during a visit to our offices yesterday that Trump is becoming, quote, self-impeachable because of all his efforts to fight congressional investigations, though she remained firm in her resistance to initiate impeachment proceedings ahead of the 2020 election. The Justice Department considered it imperative for the White House to assert executive privilege just before the House was able to vote on contempt because, in its view, doing so would effectively invalidate the citation. DOJ lawyers argue that Barr can't be legitimately held in contempt for withholding materials over which the president is asserting privilege. But if anything, Barr's move only redoubled Democratic insistence to press ahead with contempt. During a day-long hearing, Democrats criticized the use of privilege as illegitimate because much of the Mueller report has already been made public and because Trump allowed his aides to cooperate with the special counsel months ago. And it's not just Democrats who are still seeking answers. Donald Trump Jr. has been subpoenaed by the Republican-controlled Senate Intelligence Committee after the president's eldest son stonewalled for weeks in response to a request for a second interview. As negotiations over Don Jr.'s testimony dragged on, the committee chairman, Richard Burr, a very conservative Republican from North Carolina, became increasingly frustrated and believed that Don Jr. was defying the committee's authority by not honoring an original agreement he had made two years ago. If Don Jr. now flouts the subpoena, it puts Burr in the awkward position of potentially taking Don Jr. to court as the president continues his standoff with the House. A person who has just discussed the subpoena with Don Jr. tells us that he's angry and he only wants to continue to cooperate in writing. That way, lawyers can review his statements so that he can avoid saying anything inconsistent with his past testimony, which might make him more susceptible to perjury charges. The panel is bringing back several key witnesses for second interviews to give lawmakers a chance to question people who were previously interviewed only by committee staffers. Don Jr. had always understood that his first appearance was with committee staff and that members reserved the right to call him again so that they could question him. Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law and senior advisor, appeared for his second closed-door interview with the Intelligence Committee in late March, for example. But concerns about Don Jr.'s statements are potentially more problematic for the president himself. According to a transcript of Don Jr.'s testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee, 
He told lawmakers that he did not ever tell his father about the Trump Tower meeting in June 2016 with the Russian lawyer Natalia Veselnitskaya. Yet in Mueller's report, the president's former lawyer, Michael Cohen, said he recalled being in Trump's office when Don Jr. talked to him about a meeting to get adverse information on Clinton. He believes it was the Trump Tower meeting. Cohen told Mueller's team, under penalty of perjury, that it appeared that the father and son had previously discussed the same subject. Now, Mueller never got to interview Don Jr., and apparently decided it wasn't worth a court fight to compel the president's son to testify. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, North Korea appears to have launched another missile overnight. This is the second such test launch in less than a week amid rising tensions between Washington and Pyongyang. It came around 4.30 p.m. Korea time and appears to have been fired from Sino-ri, a base that houses medium-range ballistic missiles. Kim Jong-un might be lashing out because of a worsening food shortage crisis on the home front. Perhaps, analysts speculate, he hopes he can get some humanitarian help in exchange for settling down. Analysts say there is no doubt that the ultimate blame for the humanitarian crisis rests with Kim, who has spent hugely on nuclear advances and other military projects while neglecting the welfare of his citizens. But leading medical and humanitarian experts also argue that U.S.-led sanctions, which include fuel imports, have stifled North Korean agriculture and prevented the arrival of vital medical aid. A United Nations report issued last Friday showed that more than 10 million people do not have enough food to last until the next harvest. Last year's crop was the worst in a decade, and the country's been buffeted by dry spells, heat waves, and flooding. Meanwhile, Beijing promised tit-for-tat retaliation if Trump follows through with his threat to put new tariffs in place on $200 billion of Chinese goods tomorrow. The Chinese warning, issued just as that country's vice premier arrived in Washington last night, signals that Beijing is prepared to take the same hardline route as Trump. This is significant because the U.S. has been counting on China to assist in the maximum pressure campaign against North Korea. Number two. President Trump is questioning his administration's aggressive strategy in Venezuela following the failure of a U.S.-backed effort last week to oust President Nicolas Maduro. Trump has been complaining that he was misled by aides about how easy it would be to replace the socialist strongman with a young pro-America opposition figure. Several administration officials and White House advisors say that the president's dissatisfaction has crystallized around National Security Advisor John Bolton and that Trump has groused Bolton is pushing him into a box and toward an interventionist stance that's at odds with his view that the U.S. should stay out of quagmires. Trump has said in recent days privately that Bolton wants to, quote, get him into a war. Late last night, masked Venezuelan intelligence police detained National Assembly Vice President Edgar Zambrano in a dramatic operation in Caracas. He's the first senior opposition official taken into custody by the government in retaliation for last week's botched effort to incite the military uprising. He's one of 10 opposition officials who have been charged with treason, conspiracy, and rebellion by the pro-Maduro Supreme Court in connection to the plot. Number three, he was a high school senior set to graduate this week, but instead of celebrating Kendrick Castillo's graduation, 
the family of the 18-year-old is mourning his death. Castillo was a senior at STEM School Highlands Ranch in suburban Denver. He was killed in a classroom on Tuesday afternoon in a shooting that police say was carried out by a pair of his classmates, 18-year-old Devin Erickson and a younger classmate who has not been identified because she is a juvenile. Eight other students were injured. The shooting happened at the end of the school year during a British literature class. The toll exacted by the shooters could easily have been far worse. Sheriff's deputies arrived within two minutes of the first call. A security guard helped restrain the shooter. And accounts provided by students suggest that Castillo and several classmates sprang into action as soon as the shooters began firing. This was the second time in a week that targets of a shooting at a school played a role in quelling it. One of the students killed last week at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte has also been hailed for his role in thwarting the attacker, saving his classmates in the process. These two moments encapsulate some of the accumulated horrors of the past 20 years since Columbine. School shootings, once so unthinkable, so unimaginable, have become common enough that some students now fight back, and they know how. This is our new normal. And that's The Daily 202 for Thursday, May 9th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. Stay safe. I'll talk to you tomorrow.